If you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you open them to the book of 1 Peter. We started chapter 5 this past week and went up to verse 7. So we're just going to simply start at verse 8 and finish the chapter. So we're going to look at verses 8 to 14 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Last week, if you remember, my dad just mentioned it. We spoke on a proper church and how to lead properly as pastors, how to all function properly as church members. And so Peter's talk is going to come right from that, and he's going to just continue to give us a few exhortations here at the end of the chapter. But it's our last week in the book of 1 Peter. So one more time, humor me. What has been the theme of our study through the book of 1 Peter? Who wants to shout it out? Right. When I first asked you guys, I'm not sure even one soul came up with it. Now there's like five or so of you remembering. It's wonderful. <laughs> Fighting as victors has been the theme of our study through the book of First Peter. And I want you to remember that theme because that theme is really going to make it into today's lesson. And I want you to realize that it's not laying down as victors. It's fighting as victors. And we're going to talk about today about the final fight. But I'm going to read verses 8 to 14. 8 to 14. And I want you to follow along as I read this. This is what the Apostle Peter says. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Have you been fighting as a victor over the course of this study through the book of 1 Peter? I hope that you have. We're going to talk about the final fight today. The final fight, and it's actually a really serious and big one. But I want to ask you a question before we get into this, into the text. Have you ever had to struggle to accomplish something good? Good things take work, don't they? They take effort. If you want something good accomplished in your life, it's going to take some work. It's going to take that you roll up your sleeves and do something hard. Well, I want to share with you a, a couple stories all on the same topic, that there's something good that I accomplished once, and it took, it took some effort, and that is marrying my wife, Janine. <laughs> Janine is not here today, but I have permission to share these stories. And so when I moved to Michigan in 2008, I moved single. I was ready to do the Lord's work on campuses in Michigan, completely sold out to Christ, you know, go single. I was fully prepared to be single and, and just, you know, serve the Lord, completely uh, sold out to him. But when I actually visited to Michigan before I moved there, I met this young lady named Janine. And it was very, very cosmetic at the beginning. There was nothing there. We were just two people meeting one another. She was a person at the church that I was about to go to. And, and uh, so we got to know each other a little bit. And what happened actually is we actually started to get to know each other online, right? Because that's a thing now. People do that now. Whether you like that or not, people actually do that. Um, Janine and I actually got to know each other a little bit online after I visited and moved back to Pennsylvania because my plan was to move in the fall of 2008. So Janine and I actually started to talk on the phone little by little over the course of those two or three months before I moved to Michigan, and she and I got to know each other. And by getting to know each other, we really got to understand something about each other that was inward, that was good, it was good and pure. 
that there was something godly that we liked about each other and we liked each other. We thought each other were attractive. That's a, an important ingredient as well. But uh, Janine and I actually started to, what's the precursor to dating? I think they call it talking. We went from actually talking to talking. And our talking was more official. And then, so by the time I moved to Michigan in 2008, I was hoping that this was going to turn into a dating relationship. But you never really know. When you talk to someone on the phone for, for that long, you never really know if it's going to materialize into something. Or once you get to each other, it'll just fizzle out and not turn into anything. Well, once I got to Michigan, Janine and I did start a dating relationship. And um, Janine was one of those things in my life that was worth some struggle, worth some effort. And I had dated for the course of seven or ten years before that. And always gave moderate effort because I never met someone that was really worth going after. So every time those relationships before Janine kind of fizzled out, I didn't really care that much. It was like, ah, big deal, I'll find someone else. <laughs> but when I met Janine, something sparked. And I realized she is quality. She is a person that I want to get to know. She's a person I don't want to lose. So I'm going to share a couple stories on, on the lines of that. When I moved to Michigan, I moved as a missionary. And I was going to work alongside of my missions work and support myself. So I got odd jobs. I was working at Starbucks. I think I told you how that went. That didn't go great. I worked there for about a month. And then I worked at this place called Circuit City, which is no longer around. But I worked there and was supporting myself. And I wasn't making a lot of money because I was also ministering on the side. And I was working to provide for myself. But I was also wanting to date this girl named Janine. So I wasn't making a lot of money. I was also ministering. I had some bills. So I had to make a choice. I didn't have a lot of money to really take Janine out and do a lot of great dates. So something had to give. Something had to give. And the thing that actually gave was me buying food for myself at the grocery store so that I could take my girlfriend out on dates. Because I wanted to date Janine properly. I didn't want to say to Janine, sorry, Janine, I don't have any money to take you out. Can we, you know, can we take a walk at the mall or something like that. I wanted to take Janine out on proper dates, but I didn't have the money to do so. So I, I hid this from Janine. She didn't have an idea that I didn't have any money. She, found, she knows now I don't have any money. But she, <laughs> she realizes that now. She's realized that for the last 10 years, but she didn't know then. So I would take Janine out on proper dates and we would go out to restaurants and they'd be these great dates. The only problem was is once I did that and took Janine out on dates, I was broke. I didn't have any money. So I didn't have any money to go to the store and buy food. And this is not a woe is Todd story. I am revealing to you that I made a choice to struggle for the sake of dating Janine properly. So it actually came to a crux this one point. I was, I was actually getting hungry. It was funny. I'd never been hungry in my life before. Um, but there in Michigan, I started to get those stomach grumbles. You get those. Sometimes they're at church, actually, right? Because it always happens when it's quiet. But I was starting to get those stomach grumbles, and it was from hunger. And I started to realize, man, I'm hungry. You know, so I would have the young adults over because I was the young adult leader. The young adults would come to my parsonage and my house and hang out and play games. And when they would do that, they would bring like bags of chips and cookies and soda and things like that. And I remember a couple nights when they'd bring that stuff over, kind of eyeing those chips going, hmm, those look good. But I didn't, as the leader, want to tear into those things like right in front of them. But I kept thinking in the back of my mind, it'd be kind of nice if they left those back so that I could have something to eat them for the night. And so on a couple occasions, I would, the, the night would wrap up and the kids would be about to leave. And I'd be like, hey, guys, thanks. You know? And I'd start to notice that a few of them were leaving their, their snacks back, their, can, their candy, their cookies, their, their chips. And I'm like, hey, guys, I'm trying not to focus on the food. 
And I'm like, hey, guys, great hanging out with you. It was a great night. Have a great night. We'll talk to you guys on Sunday. And as soon as they shut that door, I was like, no, 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 Showing that food down. And the reason I share that story is because I had to make a choice. I had to make a choice. I could have said, Janine, I don't have the money to go out. Let's just do something that's really cheap. And, you know, and I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to date Janine properly. And so I sacrificed for the sake of getting to Janine. But there's another half of the story. Because only three or four weeks later, Janine and I are talking marriage. See, that's how well that my, my plan went. We started talking marriage, and it was really fast, but it felt normal. It felt organic. And so Janine and I started talking about marriage. But I told you, I didn't have a lot of money. I wanted to get married to Janine. I wanted to get engaged. And really, I don't know if this is the right choice of words, but I wanted to close the deal with Janine. <laughs> I wanted to not lose her. That's the better way to put it. I wanted Because Janine was on the radar of a couple other guys. You know how that works, right? And I didn't want her to slip through my fingers, so I wanted to get a ring on her finger. And so I remember going to a couple jewelry stores there, and uh, I, I took Janine once with me, and I wanted her to give me a starting point so I didn't buy the ring that was completely wrong. And she'd be like, oh, yeah, that's great, Todd. Oh, great. For the next 50 years, I have that ring. So Janine gave me a starting point, and then I went on my own to buy her a ring. And this is kind of a funny story. I went to one of those jewelry stores in the mall, and... I wanted to find Janine a really special ring, one that she would really love, and so I was kind of annoying. I kept asking the lady to bring on like every single ring she owned, you know? And for a while she was nice and kind about that, but I kept asking to see like every ring, and she's like, really dude? Just pick one. And so after ring after ring after ring, I'm looking at all these rings, I finally focus on one that I think is going to be the ring. And uh, now I'm like in my mind going, oh, this is, this is probably the one. But I'm a skeptical person by nature, and I realized that there was still one jewelry store I hadn't visited yet. So I told the lady, I told the lady at the store I was presently at, can you put this ring aside and hold it for me? Because I don't want to lose it. But I have to do a couple more errands. And then when I'm done with my errands, I'll come back, and I'll just buy the ring. I was fibbing a little bit, because what I was really doing is I was going to a rival jewelry store just to check out their rings. So I went to the jewelry store. And it, the funny thing is, it was right across the hallway there at the mall. I mean, perfectly parallel are the two jewelry stores, which is probably pretty normal, right? Every jewelry store, they're always next to another one. So I'm leaving this jewelry store that I sort of promised this lady that I was going to buy, but I wanted to check out this final store just to see if they had something better. So I went across the little hallway there to the other jewelry store, and I'm looking around, and I find a ring comparable to the one I just saw, and I'm like, oh, maybe this one's better. This one might be better. So now I've convinced myself that this is the ring to go with, and I tell the new jewelry store, all right, I'm buying the ring. This is the one. I want it. And so she's now going through the, I had to finance the ring. So she's going through the calling of the credit check and getting all that stuff in order. And while she's on the phone, and for some reason it took a lot longer than I thought it was going to. She's, I don't know, maybe I had bad credit. But uh, she's talking on the phone, trying to get the financing worked out. And while she's doing this, it probably takes, I don't know, 8 to 10 to 12 minutes of her on the phone and I'm still wrestling in my mind with the other ring that I just saw. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I should go with the first ring. You know, I should have stuck with my guns and gone to that first ring. But now the lady's still on the phone trying to get this financing worked out. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't really want this ring now. I want to go back to the other ring. But now I'm in a pickle. And so <laughs> this is kind of shameful. But she never, the conversation on the phone just kept going. And I realized at that moment I wanted the other ring. And so I kind of just slipped out. <laughs> I kind of slipped out, and I didn't want her to notice. She had one, doing one of those like turns with the phone. And as soon as she did that, I was gone. I took that as my 
I took that as my window and I, and I bolted. But you remember the jewelry store was right across the hallway from the other one. So here I am kind of slinking down. You know, who knows what people thought I was doing. Now, maybe I was stealing rings. But I'm slinking down, going to the other jewelry store, not wanting this lady to find me. <laughs> and I go back to the other jewelry store and I find the lady. I'm like, I want the ring. I want the ring. And she goes, okay. And so she now is going through the process of getting the ring ordered and stuff like that. And I'm in the other jewelry store, the rival jewelry store, ducking, making sure that the lady doesn't come out and find me and be like, dude. <laughs> so I'm like ducking behind some of their stand-up things. And I actually see the lady come out. She comes out and she's like looking around for me. And I'm like, <laughs> a very shameful thing to do, right? But I realize at this moment, I don't want her ring. I want this ring. And so I finally buy the ring. The lady eventually evaporates and she's gone. <laughs> I buy the ring that I originally wanted. And I had this plan too about like a three or four week thing. It was going to take this elaborate plan of to engage, you know, get Janine engaged to me and do this really special thing. Uh, you know what it's like when money burns a hole in your pocket, right? That ring was burning a hole in my pocket. And within 24 hours, that ring was on Janine's finger. And uh, I went with plan B. I could tell you the whole story of that some other time, but I share these stories to share with you that something good is worth a struggle, isn't it? Something good is worth some effort. Something we're going to look at today is, is that way. Something we're going to look at today is worth a struggle and worth a fight, even. And we're going to talk about what Peter says here is really important. This is a really important study. This is a great way to end First Peter because it has been talking about this struggle the entire time. It's been trying to give us courage and confidence, but it's also been talking about this fight that we have, this fight against evil. And so I want to get right into it. I want to go back to the text and get right into what Peter is saying here. And I want you to realize, if you haven't realized this already, that as Christians, we are in a fight, aren't we? You could even say a brutal fight. We are in a brutal fight against evil. And I hope that's obvious by now if you're a Christian. But Peter is going to talk about that fight here, and I want to look at the first thing he says in verse 8. He says this, Christian, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. The idea of being sober-minded, if you thought about it long enough, you could figure out what he's talking about. It means to be serious. It means to be clear. It means to be focused. It's really the opposite of what you'd expect. It's the opposite of being drunk. It means to be serious and clear and focused focused on something. You can use the word purposeful. Peter is saying to us today, I want you to be serious. I want you to be clear. I want you to be focused and purposeful in this fight. I want you to have a singular focus. I don't want there to be a lot of distractions. And the first question I have for us today is that how we would describe our mindset in the Christian life. Would we describe our mindset in the Christian life as sober-minded singular, focused, purposeful? Or is church and religion just a fraction of our week? Is it just one ingredient in the stew pot of our lives that we stir around? Is it okay to us if we're not entirely focused upon Christ? Peter says, I want you to be sober-minded. This is going to take everything. This is going to take a singular focus and a purpose that you have unlike given to anything else. See, in the life that we live, I like humor. As you can tell, I generally start my sermons off with something light and funny. I like humor. Humor is a great stress reliever. It's a great way to lighten the mood if something is too serious, right? 
And we can do that with a lot of things in life. We can use humor to lighten the mood. We can make humor remove some of the stress of something that's too serious. And that's a good thing. But when it deals with our souls and things pertaining to the kingdom of God, Peter wants us to be serious. He wants us to be serious. Do we know what it is to be serious when it's time to do so? To put the lightheartedness away and to say, this is serious. This pertains to God. This pertains to God's will and God's kingdom. This pertains to the fight against evil. This is not something I can laugh off. This is not a game. This is not a joke. This is nothing I can be flippant with. This is serious. I hope I am starting to learn that in my life, that there's times for humor, there's times for lightheartedness, and there's times to be serious. And this kind of thing takes that. It takes a sober-mindedness. The most mature Christians that all of us know are the ones who can take serious the things of God, right? The ones who are purposeful about it. It's almost like you can see it right on their faces. Their language is different. Their purpose is different. The things they delight in are different. When someone is mature in Christ, they know what it's like to get serious about the things that God thinks are important. And Christ is so often on those people's minds and their hearts that it comes right out. It flows right out of them. So today, this is not a joke. This is not something to be lighthearted about. Eternity is fast approaching. You could even say this is a matter of eternal life or death. This fight, this fight that we have with the devil and with evil is a matter of life and death. And we know what it's like to have distractions, right? If you've ever driven distracted, that's a very bad place to be. The other day, I saw a really bad uh, traffic accident. I was picking up my son from school, and right outside his school was a pretty bad traffic accident. I, I didn't witness it, but I did hear it. And uh, I realized that two cars really just smashed each other pretty bad. And uh, I'll be honest, I'll be a little uh, transparent here. I get distracted when I drive, as probably a lot of us do, right? I don't, I don't do it horribly bad, I don't think, but I do get distracted with music and with my phone and things like that from time to time. Well, after I saw an accident like that, you know how I drove the rest of the day? I was focused. I was defensive. I was watching every car on the road, you know, because I saw what could have happened if you drive distracted. Eternity is that way, guys. Christianity is that way. There are things in life that if we mess up, if we're too lighthearted and we screw some, some things up in our life, it's not that big a deal. But if we mess around with the things of God, if we mess around with our following of Jesus Christ, it can mean the difference between eternal life and death. And that's what makes this so grave. So Peter tells us to be sober-minded, clear our heads of what is distracting us towards following Jesus. We need our full attention on what matters to God, things that Jesus has been teaching us week after week. And the scripture says this all over the place. This is not just 1 Peter. It says stay awake in the Christian life. It says be vigilant. As we're going to learn, it says be watching. Christ himself said, I want you to be watching for my second coming. I want you to be ready. I want you to be watching. I want you to be looking for it. If you remember the parable of the ten virgins, maybe you guys have heard that story from Scripture. There were ten virgins, and they were all had the same job, the same goal, be waiting for the bridegroom. Five of them had oil in their lamps. Five of them did not. All of them fell asleep at one point. But when the bridegroom came, five of them woke up. They had oil in their lamps. They trimmed their lamps. They lit their way, and they made themselves to the bridegroom. Five of them had no oil. So the bridegroom was there. He came at night. They couldn't find their way to the bridegroom, and they didn't get there. 
And Jesus used that story to say to us, be ready, be awake. When I come back, I don't want you drunk on this world. I want you looking for and anticipating my second coming. So Peter's going to use similar language today against the fight that we have. Are we, Wyoming Valley Church, ready to become mature in our endeavor to keep following Christ? Are we ready to raise the bar? Are we still trying to be part-time followers of Jesus, kind of fitted into the nooks and crannies of our life? Or are we ready to focus, to be sober-minded, to be singular in what we're doing? The next thing Peter says goes right along with this. He says, be watchful. In verse 8. And really, that's not a great translation of the word. The idea is really this word vigilant. Vigilant. I looked up the word vigilant, and this is what the word means. It says, keeping careful watch over possible dangers and difficulties. Think about that word. That's what Peter is saying. Be vigilant. Be careful to watch over for possible dangers and difficulties. Would that describe your walk with the Lord? Are you vigilant and watching for possible dangers and difficulties in the Christian life? Peter's basically saying, be ready. Be prepared for battle. Be looking for the next attack. It's coming. Are you ready? Are you watchful? Are you ready? Are you looking for the next attack? Do we watch and prepare for spiritual attacks and temptations? Are we always caught off guard when temptation comes because we're not expecting it? Because there's two ways to play defense, right? There's two ways to play defense. is to expect to act the proper way when you need to. That's one way to play defense. Once something comes against you and it's a spiritual attack, you just hope you act properly. That's one way. It's not a great way, but that is one way to play defense. Another way to play defense is to prepare, to gird up, to grab your armor, to watch for the attack, and then to be ready when it comes. That's exactly what Peter is talking about by saying, be vigilant. The attacks are going to come, and I need you to be ready. Because we're all in the battle for our souls here. We can't afford to do anything but win this battle. Are we, you and I aware, are we aware that the devil is going to attack us this very day? Are we aware of that? Are we aware that the devil is going to attack us this very day? Are we aware that the devil is going to attack us every single day until the end? Is that something we think about? Is that something we give our mindset to, saying today is a day that I'm going to be in spiritual battle? What am I going to do about that? If I wake up tomorrow, that's another day I'm going to be in spiritual battle. In fact, until I finish my race upon this earth, there won't be one day that I'm not in spiritual battle. Is that something we think about and give our minds to? That's really what Peter is saying. Take the level and put it higher. Think and be vigilant and be sober-minded about the things of God. Because you shouldn't be blindsided when temptation comes. Because it is coming. It does come. It will come today. It will come tomorrow if we are given it. So I'm going to say it this way. In this fight that we have, we must be offensively defensive in the Christian life. We must be purposeful plain defense. We must be ready. We must be thinking. We must be active in our minds. We must be talking about it like we are today because the attacks are going to come. New attacks, new temptations are coming this very day, and we must prepare to withstand them. In Matthew Henry's commentary, Matthew Henry said this about being vigilant. He said, to be vigilant means to be not secure or careless 
but rather suspicious of constant danger from this spiritual enemy, and under that apprehension to be watchful and diligent to prevent his design and to save our souls. Do you see that? To not be careless, but suspicious of constant danger. Basically, to say today to your own soul, I know he's coming. I know he's going to attack. I know that's his whole game. I know that's what he does from sunup to sundown, is try to attack Christians, and I'm going to be ready for it. And as your pastor, there's a lot of sermons that I really enjoy speaking because I'm, I'm simply explaining and encouraging you ways. I feel like today, we talked about the proper church last week where the role of the pastor is sometimes to preach and to lead and to teach. You know one other role for the pastor? To protect. To protect his sheep. And really that's my job today is to tell my sheep today, be ready. It's coming. The attack is coming and it's going to come today and I want you to be prepared because of what Peter says next. Listen to what he says next in verse 8. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Do you see the seriousness of that word, those words there? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Aren't there a few interesting words in that sentence there? Your adversary, your enemy, your opponent, is the devil himself. I mean, is that grave? Is that, is that important? That we have the biggest, strongest enemy you could possibly have? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And I think that that's two interesting terms there. First of all, lion, able to kill, able to maim, able to do really bad things to you. But he's also roaring. He makes a lot of noise. He has a lot of bark and he has a lot of bite. And the, pro the lion, our, our devil, um, our enemy, the devil, is seeking someone to devour. Not tease. Not trip up. Not hurt. Destroy. The devil your enemy is like a lion seeking someone to devour. We all have this enemy, the devil. If you're a Christian, he's your enemy. And he's coming after our souls. The devil is coming after our souls. He doesn't care that you and I have placed our faith in Christ because he still has a job to do. I think once we consider that we have faith in Christ, maybe the devil goes away and he's got other people to fight now. Wrong. Wrong. In fact, I would say he intensifies his game. Now that you are a threat to his kingdom, he wants nothing more than to take Christians down. That's his number one goal because he already owns most of the world. He doesn't have to do a lot. But for Christians, he knows there's a fight and he is going to attack our souls every single day until, until it's over. So now that we have placed our faith in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you might consider the, uh, the fight to be over. Why is Peter warning Christians that there's a devil? Aren't we safe from him? Aren't we kept from him? Does the devil really have any bark and bite against Christians? Yes, he does. Because his job now is to move us away from faith in Christ. Now that we've placed our trust and faith in Christ, we've started the Christian journey. But now that we're in the journey, the devil has one singular, sober-minded, watchful attack. Move them away from Jesus. Every single day, every single attack, every single thing he's trying to do has one goal. Move them away from Jesus. 
If he moves us away from Jesus and our faith in him, he wins. So every attack is all toward that same goal. But you might have a question, as I had a question, is going, why would the Apostle Peter warn Christians who belong to God that they have an enemy who is able to devour them? If we are on God's team, doesn't it say in Scripture that we are kept by God? In fact, if you would have remembered the, the sermon from chapter 1 of 1 Peter, it says that very thing. It says we are kept by the power of God, guarded by God's power until the end. Isn't that a great thing to know? That God is guarding us and by his power every single day? But you also know what it says in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Wage war against your passions and your flesh and your sinful desires. Do you notice the language? Wage war. What we have in Scripture is these two sets of doctrines. One side of the doctrine says, God is keeping you. That is a doctrine that we love. That is a doctrine that we should shout from the hilltops. God is keeping Christians. God is watching out for you. God is protecting you. Even when you're not protecting yourself, God is guarding you by his power but there's also another set of doctrines that say you have to fight, Christian. And I don't want the one doctrine to suffocate the other doctrine because they're both in Scripture. God exalts them both and says God's going to keep you and you got to fight. And if we say, oh, God's going to keep me, I could just lay down. Yeah, God will just keep me. God will win the battle for me and I don't need to do anything. That is not what the Bible puts forward. The Bible says Guard yourself, arm yourself, put on the armor of God. It's time for war. And you and I here at Wyoming Valley Church, we need to exalt both doctrines. We need to exalt the doctrine that God is keeping us, because he is. But we also need to exalt the other doctrine, that if unless we fight, unless we fight every single day and fight the way God has taught us to fight, we're not going to win. And the way I can sort of explain that is that we're in a covenant relationship with God. God does his part doesn't he? Faithfully, perfectly, every single moment, God keeps his covenant relationship with his people. But the other side of that is we, too, have a role in this covenant. And the role that he has given to us is to fight. If you remember the old story that we love, David and Goliath, right? Let's use David and Goliath as an example here. David took down Goliath. Now, did David take down Goliath in his own strength? Would even King David say that? That I was just so strong. I was just such a great warrior that I just took down Goliath. No, David would return all the credit to God, wouldn't he? But David was not kicked, dragging, and screaming into this fight, nor was David on the battlefield laying down and letting God fight for him. David took the fight to Goliath. And that's a good illustration of what we're talking about today. Unless you fight the enemy, unless you are prepared to fight the enemy, you're not going to win. But even if you are prepared and you go to the battle, you need God to strengthen you, don't you? You need God to guard you, don't you? And this is what Peter is saying. Don't suffocate the doctrine that we have to fight because it's all over Scripture. And we have an enemy who wants to devour our souls. And if we are flippant and we act like this fight is no big deal, the devil will devour us. There are times that God will keep us in spite of our own fights. But if we refuse to do our covenant role in this relationship, it's not going to work. God expects us, us to do our role, and he's going to do his role perfectly. And here's the cool thing, is even though the devil is a master deceiver and a real threat and a real opponent to Christians, 
We can win. We can defeat the devil by God's strength. We can defeat him by fighting the way the Lord has taught us. Think about that. I and you can defeat the devil. It says words that we're going to look here here a little bit. It says resist him. Resist the devil. How am I going to resist the devil? We'll look at that here in a little bit. But Peter wants us to know that even though this is a real threat and a real enemy, that if we fight God's way, we can actually beat this foe of ours. See, here's a few things I want to make clear, though. I want to make this clear. Satan cannot undo our faith, can he? He cannot undo our faith. He cannot undo the precious truths of God. So the only fight, the only play the devil has is to get us to walk away from our Lord. He cannot do it. He cannot do the promises of God. The only thing he could do is convince us to get up and walk away from the Lord. So he gears all of his attacks to that. And he does this simply by trying to convince us of a few things. Number one, Christ isn't worth it. He's not worth it. Aren't we told that a lot? This Christian race, this Christian life, there are better things. There are more fun things. Look what the world is doing. Look what the fun they're having. Christ is not worth it. If we listen to that lie, and that's a lie he tells us a lot, what will we do? We'll get up and we'll walk away from Jesus. Here's another thing the devil loves to tell us. We're on our own. It's me and you, buddy. It's me and you. And you know I'm stronger than you. He lies and he lies because if we feel alone, if we feel cornered, if we feel like there's a fight we can't win, we'll probably walk away. Here's another one. The world is too attractive. The world is too attractive. You can't say no forever. Look at all the stuff they have. Look at all the stuff they're able to do. It's too attractive. You're not going to follow this path of Christ till the end of your life. Let's be honest. Why not just go now? Go get it. Go sink your teeth into everything the world can give you. Christ isn't worth it. You're on your own. The world is too attractive. Or maybe this, the devil's too strong for us. I'm too equipped. I'm too big. I've been around too many generations. You honestly think that you can beat me? Lie after lie after lie. Because he knows if we listen to the lies, he doesn't have to move us away from faith in Christ. He can't. He doesn't have to undo the precious promises of God. He can't. But we will get up and walk away. And as soon as we walk away from faith in Christ, we lose. That's it. It's that simple. This is why we need the church. This is exactly why we need the church. It says in Hebrews 3.13, Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of us are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I'm going to say that again. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that no one is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another. The church is our ally in this fight. We need one another, don't we? We need the church. In order to go forward, we need to fight together. I need you, and you need me. If I don't have you, I'm not going to make it. If you don't have me, you're not going to make it. So we need one another in this fight. Uh, Matthew Henry, reading something he wrote again, he says, The devil is the grand accuser of all the brethren. His title is derived from a word which signifies to strike through or to stab. He would strike malignity into our natures and poison into our souls if he could. So I want you to understand today, God does keep us. God God does guard us. God is going to do his covenant 
perfectly. And even there are passages that say, even when the little lamb wanders away from the fold and goes into danger and goes near the wolf's den and goes near the ledge, God brings them back. But God wants us to fight. God has put us in this battle so that we can fight and can win. And that's the illustration of David and Goliath. David had no business being in that fight. Goliath was stronger, more skilled warrior. Why would David think he could take down Goliath? Because he didn't fight alone. He fought with the power of God. And our theme through the book of 1 Peter has been fighting as victors. We fight, but it's as a victor. But it's not laying down as victors. It's actually fighting against evil. This is what Peter says right after this. He says, concerning the devil, resist him. Resist him firm in your faith. Do you see that there? What is he telling us to do? Push back with faith. Resist the devil with faith and you will win. We can and we must fight against the devil. Abstaining from this fight is simply not an option. Every single Christian must fight. As we live upon this earth, we must put up a resistance to the devil and his evil plan to take us down. We're going to be victorious, but we have to fight. We have to fight, and we must fight the way the Lord has taught us to fight, according to Scripture and with the church. If we fight according to Scripture and with the church, we are guaranteed victory. So the way to secure our, our guaranteed victory over the devil is the same way we accomplish anything in the Christian life, through faith. Through faith, the same way we find victory in Christ is the same way we keep victory in Christ, the gospel doctrines. And I think it's a good exercise to constantly be reciting these doctrines to our souls and our minds each and every day. We were sinners. We were rebels against God. Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose on our behalf. And now we trust in his finished work of redemption, don't we? And because you and I are forgiven and restored and made new and empowered, Jesus is worthy to follow, isn't he? If he is the source of my salvation, if he is the source of my eternal life, he is worthy to have my soul and my life for the rest of time. If we recite those truths to us every single day, we're not going to lose. It's only when we neglect it's only when we forget the gospel truths. It's only when we forget the value of Jesus that we simply start to wonder, what are we missing out on here in this world? When we are looking at Jesus Christ, that doesn't happen because we see his infinite worth. When I am doing that in scripture and in prayer with my family, with my church, and I'm meditating on the value and the worth of Christ, I'm tough to take down because I'm seeing his worth, I'm going forward, I'm resisting the devil. But when I'm tired and I'm stressed, and I'm lonely, I forget. I forget how valuable Christ is. I forget everything he's done for me, and I start to gaze at the world. And that's exactly what the devil wants. I'm going to get them like the zebra feeding by the stream without the other zebras. As soon as they're vulnerable, I'm going to attack because he's like a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. I'm going to wait for the time that they're weak. And when they're weak and when they're lonely and when they're stressed and when they're fatigued, I'm going to attack. That's when. So you and I have to be purposeful. We have to be offensively defensive. We have to be looking and anticipating for these next battles. 
And we got to be fighting with each other. we got to be vulnerable enough to share with one another our struggles and call up a friend and call up a brother or a sister and say, you know what? It's hard right now. It's hard right now. I'm being tempted right now. Would you pray for me? Can we get together? Can we remind each other of the truths of God's words? When we do that, the devil loses ground. He loses ground, and he knows it. What he wants to do is he wants to single us out. Every bully, I think, in the history of time has always wanted to do that, right? Single someone out behind school and just beat on them. <laughs> but if there are other students, if there are teachers, if there are parents, the bully doesn't want anything to do with that. This is how the devil works as well. The other day I used an illustration with my children. I was actually teaching them this passage. And I was thinking, how do I make this passage work for little children? Uh, in our living room, we have this area rug that covers most of the living room. And I said to the four oldest kids, I said, okay, kids, I want you to do something. I want, I want to illustrate this passage for you, okay? I want to pretend that this area rug that we have here is faith in Christ, okay? As long as you're on the mat, as long as you're on the area rug, you're safe. But if you go off the area rug, if you go off the mat, you lose, okay? So I said, I want you to all do something. I want you to try to stay on the mat no matter what. Stay on the rug no matter what. And I'm going to pretend to be the devil and try to move you off the mat. So just do your best not to be moved off the mat. Just stay on the area rug. So it was fun. They were laughing. But I was trying to put forward something. So I, as the devil, went forward and I was slightly, gradually, shoving my children off the area rug, little by little. And, you know, two of them, Adelaide wasn't even trying. She, just, she was just enjoying the ride. But uh, two of the boys were at least putting some resistance against me, saying, I'm not going off the rug, Dad. But I'm stronger, aren't I? I'm stronger than all of my children. So little by little, I moved every single one of them off the area rug. And I said, here is the illustration. That is when we fight alone. When we fight alone against the devil, he's much stronger. He's much craftier. He knows exactly how to get us off our faith in Christ. I said, now let's turn the tables. I want to turn the tables. And I want you guys to pretend you're the devil. And I want you to push me off the area rug. And this time, I'm going to be a Christian fighting with other Christians, fighting the way God has taught me to. And I want you with all your strength and all your might to push your dad off the area rug. So they tried. They tried. For the next two or three minutes, they tried everything they could do. They tried to tickle me. They tried to push me. They tried to put toys in front of me, which is ingenious. Um, it almost worked. And tried to get me off that area rug. But I'm stronger. And not only were they not able to get me off the rug, I was making progress against them. And there was the illustration, even for a child. Fight on your own, you're going down. Fight with God, fight with the church. You will not only resist the devil, you will make progress against his kingdom. Isn't that a good thing to know? So Peter says, resist him firm in your faith. Remember Jesus. Think about your Lord. Remember him. Pray to him. Talk about him. Go over and meditate upon his love for you. That is the best way to fight and to defend yourself against the devil. He says in verse 9, to give us motivation in this fight, he says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. How are we weak people supposed to fight such a strong, crafty, fully armed opponent such as the devil? The devil is spiritual in nature. I can't physically take hold of him. I can't physically fight him. I can't even physically see him. How am I supposed to take on a spiritual, supernatural opponent? 
His power is beyond anything I have ever witnessed in the physical realm. He's stronger than machinery. He's stronger than anything on this planet. How am I supposed to fight the devil? And the answer, and the answer is actually quite simple and yet profound. We don't fight alone. We don't fight alone. We fight with God and we fight with the church. And here in verse 9, he says, We have brothers and sisters in the trenches, in the foxholes, right next to us, fighting the exact same enemy, the exact same uh, foe, the exact same way. And I've never been in war, but I've met, read many stories that when you look next to yourself and see people in the trenches and the foxholes with you, it bolsters your confidence. And that's exactly what Peter is trying to do. I want you to remember, as much as the devil seeks to lie to you and say to you, you're alone, this is a special attack, I'm coming right after you, no one else is facing this, he's lying. Because all over this world, in this church and all over this world, every single brother and sister in Christ is fighting the exact same battle with the exact same opponent. And Peter wants us to find confidence in that. That we're not alone. This is not a special attack. This is a normal attack for every single Christian. Isn't that interesting to know? That every single time you're attacked, every single time you're cornered, and you think this is a special attack, that he's coming directly for you, every single Christian has been there this week. If you've been there, I've been there. If I've been there, you've been there. And I think that's why things like Wednesday night are so important for us to get together and say, can I tell you I've been there too? I know what it's like. Here's what I'm going through. And we realize there's people in the trenches with us. That's a good thing to know. So this battle that we're facing from the devil is a normal battle. It's an everyday battle for Christians. It's not special. There are Christians right now in Canada, in Mexico, in China, in Germany, in England, in Austria, in Australia, in the Middle East, fighting the exact same battle against the exact same opponent. And the devil doesn't want us to realize this, but we know this to be true. There is strength in numbers, isn't there? When we realize that it's not just me, it's my church. It's not just my church. It's every Christian in the entire known world fighting the same way, the same opponent. It bolsters your confidence to say, okay, let's go. Let's go forward. Let's help one another. Let's pray for one another. Let's all resist and push against this devil by faith and obedience to Jesus. So Peter wants to encourage us. You're fighting together. Please fight together, Wyoming Valley Church. Don't fight alone. Don't take the devil one-on-one. -on -one. He's going to remove you from the area rug. He knows what he's doing. Fight with your God and fight with your church. He says in verse 10, after you have suffered a little while in this battle, in this fight, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, I love that word even, will himself, your God, your Lord Jesus, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter is saying, not only is this battle we have common and normal, but it's temporary. This is very important to know because when it, it is compared to eternity, this battle we're fighting is so brief that Peter uses a phrase said, it's calling a little while. I, I, it's never seemed that way to me in the Christian life. It always seems to be long and tedious and I'm never going to get over this. This is never going to be over. But Peter says, perspective, Todd. Think about eternity. Think about one day when the Lord comes back 
The battle's going to be done. The battle's going to be over. You will no longer be fighting the devil. And for the rest of eternity, it's going to be ease. Fighting will be over. And so Peter says, in a little while, the battle's almost done. Keep going. Don't let your swords drop yet. Because the day is coming when all swords will drop. And all fighting will cease because the king will return. And when the king returns, the devil is over. The fight is over. The devil is going to lose. And Peter's saying, God himself, the Lord himself will pick you up. He will strengthen you. He will confirm you. He will restore you. He will establish you, Christian. And when he does so, it will be for all of eternity. Isn't that a great thing to know? We may not think that we can go any further in this fight. But if we know that our brothers and sisters are fighting the exact same fight, and if we know that this battle is temporary, Peter says a little while. Peter's not fighting any longer. Peter has known what it's like for this battle to be over. And now he's saying, go forward. You can fight more. Go forward, Christian. As long as we fight and we resist the devil, firm in our faith, the way we were taught, we fight as victors. We're guaranteed by God himself that we're going to win because the battle will eventually be won by the Lord Jesus himself on our behalf. And now Peter wants us to have confidence and courage to go forward because the Lord is on his way back. And as soon as the Lord back comes back, the battle's going to turn, isn't it? As much as it seems right now that we're backpedaling, as soon as our King Jesus comes to this earth, it's over. He is going to dominate. And that's exactly what he says in verse 11. Listen to verse 11. To him, your Lord and Savior, your friend, your ally, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. To the one who will win the battle belongs all the praise forever and ever. Our foe is strong. The enemy we've talked about is very fierce, very strong, very crafty. But in comparison to our Lord, he's nothing. Our Lord belongs all dominion. He cannot be defeated. We are fighting as victors, and Satan, on the contrary, is fighting as already been defeated because 2,000 years ago, Jesus died, and even death couldn't hold our Lord. Up from the grave, he arose. And now he's saying to us Christians, you're not going to lose. Do you know what I've done on your behalf? Do you know the kind of strength that is in me? Yes, your devil is crafty, your enemy is powerful, but I've defeated him. I defeated him when I was dead. What can I do now that I'm alive on my throne? Fight, Christian. Go forward, Christian. Find confidence, Christian. You're on the winning team. Stay. Pick up your sword and go forward. The last thing he says is verse 12 to 14. He says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. In Peter's last remarks to the Christians here, he's seeking to honor this guy called Silvanus, which a lot of commentators believe to be this guy Silas, who was a really strong Christian brother. He went on uh, missionary journeys with the Apostle Paul, and it looks like possibly, probably, he helped Peter pen this letter and helped deliver this letter to the church. So Peter seeks to honor 
Silvanus, and he says he once again wants to encourage the Christians to stand firm in the truths that he has mentioned to them. This entire 12-week journey we've taken through 1 Peter, which maybe we need to go back and we need to remember. We need to read 1 Peter once again and remember all that he's taught us. Peter says, stand firm. Stand firm in it. Believe it. Remember it. Fight with it. Don't forget. Don't neglect. Stand firm in it. Peter also encourages them by passing along a greeting from the church in Babylon. He says she passes along a greeting, and the the church is the bride of Christ. So I simply think he's talking about that church there in Babylon, or what could have been the modern-day Babylon at that time, which was Rome. Peter says, I send you a greeting. And remember what he just said? You're not fighting alone. Don't you think that was pretty important to hear? That there's a whole other church that sends their greeting and says, us too, we're with you. We're fighting next to you. And I think that should be inspiring for all of us. He also passes along the greeting of Mark, which I believe was Peter's son in the faith. And lastly, he encourages us to have unity, brotherly love, kindness towards one another, because as he's proven, we need one another in this fight, don't we? I think the worst thing that can ever happen in a church is when Christians fight other Christians. Don't fight other Christians. Fight with other Christians. We have the same enemy. We are not enemies of one another. Our enemy is the devil. We all have the same battle. You are my allies, and I am your ally. Let's all fight together. I want to finish this very quickly by giving us three weapons of warfare that we need every day to defeat this devil. Three weapons of warfare we need every single day to defeat this devil. Number one is wake up with a purpose. Days are not random. Days are not guaranteed. If you are given a new day, wake up with a purpose. Every day is a gift for us to give back to the Lord. Maybe ask this question every single day, every single morning. What is today for? What is today for? And answer it this way. Advancing against my enemy and pleasing my Lord. If I've been given a new day and today is a new day, I don't know if tomorrow is going to come for any of us, but we have today. What is it for? Is it just another Sunday? Do we just do the church thing, go back and do our normal Sunday thing and then just start the week all over again? Or is today on purpose? Is today a step forward? Is today a leg in the race? Is it a battle? Wake up on purpose, with a purpose. Be sober-minded, be clear and focused upon the fact that we are in a serious and spiritual battle for life and death. I think if we remind ourselves of this constantly, we will give ourselves a much better chance to fight and win, as Peter has taught us. Number two, weapon of warfare. This is a really important one as well, is find Jesus. Find him. Find him daily. Be convinced about who Jesus is and what he's worth to your soul. Find him and do not leave him. If the Lord is our victory and he is our victory, don't go anywhere that he doesn't go. And wherever he goes, right behind him. Because if we have the Lord fighting with us, we win. And if we fight without Jesus, we lose. If we think today that Jesus isn't important for today, for May 5th, 2019, what a sorry thing to think. The devil has already won so much in our mind. If we think that Jesus isn't important today, he is. He's crucial. And his importance to us daily cannot be exaggerated. So stay near Jesus. Strive to know him further. Strive to obey him. Strive to be servants of that Lord. And number three, and we've said this already, but remind yourselves that you're not alone. 
You're not alone because of the church, but you're also not alone because the Lord Jesus went before you. He's been in every battle. He's fought every single thing you fought, and he's won every single time. You're not alone. The Lord is with you. He goes before you, and he desires you to win, and he's going to help you do that. And your brothers and sisters are also in the trenches and foxholes with you all around the world. And I want us to find strength from the fact that every battle is lined with God's grace. And every battle is lined with our family's fellowship. Don't let the bully sing you, single you out. You are a part of a team, and that team cannot be defeated. Fight today as a victor. That's been the entire point of First Peter. The last thing Peter says, the very last thing, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace. We just talked about a battle. Peter, how could you say peace? Because you fight as a victor if you're in Christ. Are you in Christ today? Are you? Do you know what it's like to fight with Jesus? Do you know what it's like to find peace and comfort from him every single day? If you don't know what that's like, please come talk to me. You have to have the Lord Jesus or you will not win this battle. If you do have the Lord Jesus, isn't he worthy for us to resist and defeat evil in our lives? Didn't Jesus do this first? Didn't he fight for our sake? Didn't Jesus go to battle for our sake, for our soul? Isn't he worthy for us to fight for him? And one more time, the battle has been won over 2,000 years ago on the cross. It's already been won. Wake up and fight with courage in this final fight against the devil. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the book of 1 Peter. We give you all the glory for everything that has been said that is good. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for teaching us what it means to fight as a victor. Father, just because we learned it doesn't mean we have done it. I pray that we would now pick up our swords. We would now be offensively defensive against the devil. We would even make progress against his kingdom by shining the light of the gospel. Father, help every single one of us in this church, help this church to fight together, to go arm in arm against the same opponent that we all have, and to do it for the sake of growth, maturity, and Christ-likeness. Father, we need you in this battle. We ask that you would equip us, that you would keep us, that you would guard us, that you would remind us of these truths every single day. We give all glory to you for all that is good in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.